0: It's the Bama Online Podcast, Travis Ryer Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you. Joined, as we get another week going, by a beat reporter extraordinaire for us there at the website, Charlie Potter. We have a week of preseason football practice in the books, Charlie. We've got some COVID-19 related issues we're going to touch on, but man, we've got some actual football
1: to talk about. Yeah, it's been good. Um, I've I've had to catch my breath a little bit because it kind of came in waves right there at the beginning. Monday was – or last Monday was super hectic with – you had the roster was updated. I know all of our subscribers were eagerly waiting on that. You had – uh, the schedule release, you had Nick Saban's press conference, Alabama even got a commitment, so we were throwing the deep end uh, <laughs> right out the gate, but I, I started to get used to it with, you know, the way that they're um, in the practicing, and that they released some some photos and videos and things like that, and then the Zoom calls, it, It's uh, it was a, a little hectic to begin with. Uh, they had some technical difficulties. Thankfully, it wasn't during uh, Nick Saban's presser last Monday, but uh, I think everything started to get kind of routine and it is good to be back. Like I, I like the the weekly grind of a camp or a spring practice or a game week because I know what to expect and I have plenty to write about. And so to to have that after several months of absolutely nothing it has been really refreshing.
0: Yeah, and look, kudos to UA because you wondered, right? Kind of okay, it's all in the hands of the university and you know how much are we gonna get exactly when it comes to even just a glimpse at practice and I'm not gonna say I'm surprised. I was hopeful that it would resemble something like what we've gotten to this point through four practices. but I think I got to give some credit to UA for uh, for keeping us abreast of things pretty well to this point, given the
1: the circumstances. Yeah, we've gotten what probably. 10, 15 minutes of practice footage, and they've put the quarterbacks out there. Um, you know, it, it's pretty. it moves pretty fast. It goes from basically the beginning of practice to up until they do some team stuff. But, um, you know, we've seen a look at pretty much every position, be able to see kind of who, who's out there, who's doing what, maybe who's lining up where. It's hard to, to basically do what we do when we go out there to practice and call roll and see kind of the um, – the seniority i guess or how guys are lining up in what order but uh, you, we get to see mac jones and bryce young and paul tyson throw balls we've gotten to see the inside linebackers the offensive line we, we've seen all the guys that are back out there and and um you know moving well after they were injured last year so it, it's been it's been pretty good we'll see how long it, it continues the, the one thing though uh that, that i'm a little worried about is now that we've seen this and how this can go once we return to normalcy, hopefully we'll be able to go back out there and they won't shut the whole thing down. I, I think Nick Saban will still be uh, a fan of, of us being out there, at least, you know, advocate for that. It's, it's surprising, I think, that people will hear that, that he's actually the one that, that does that. But um, hopefully that whenever everything returns back to normal, we'll be able to be out there and, and film it ourselves.
0: You know, I've heard coaches say that they actually like those media viewing periods because it presents. You know, some accountability on behalf of the players. They don't want to look bad, right, in front of media. And especially early in practice when you probably are having to coax that energy and that focus out of young people when it's toughest, it might help coaches, I guess, from that perspective.
1: No, yeah, I agree completely. And, um, you know, I haven't really just seen anybody. Um, be a turd or I just have a bad practice. And we have been out there and we've seen guys get injured, but I think for the most part, I think you're right. They know those cameras are out there. And you know, when, when those cameras are rolling, when the lights are on, those guys perform. And, um, I think it, it provides them with a, maybe not motivation, but they know that they have to be on their P's and Q's while guys are out there because, They have, you know, at any given time, three or four cameras right on them and watch them do, you know, footwork drills. And if they mess up, then that's going to be on websites, on TV, on social media, and people are going to talk about it. So uh, I think these guys have learned pretty quickly that pretty much everything they do is under a microscope. And and when it comes to that, it's it's even more so because you not only have your position coach and, and Nick Saban and everybody watching, but now you have cameras that are. You know when they leave practice they're going to go out there and then publish publish it on their various outlets, so yeah, I agree completely, and uh, like I said, hopefully we'll be able to get back out there soon, yeah,
0: and they let you out there for those periods in which it's so much just fundamental work, which you know a lot of those guys they are so over some of the bag drills, some of the sled work, you know some of the things they've been doing as football players since probably middle school, but that's exactly when coaches like the focus to ramp up because it's those little things that they continue to harp on day after day after day. Hey, we're going to get into more of an in-depth look throughout the podcast uh, offensively, defensively for this Alabama football team as it moves into week two of preseason practice in advance of the 2020 college football season. But going to have an AP poll coming out uh, later on Monday, Charlie. Pretty interesting, too, because apparently this AP poll is going to include teams from conferences that have opted out. In other words, you're still probably going to see Ohio State somewhere in the top three, probably number two ahead of Alabama. Uh, You're going to see Oregon. You're going to see Penn State, Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, But this will be the only week that the AP includes teams from leagues that are opting out for the upcoming season kind of feels like the APs is pouring one out for all those teams Charlie kind of ceremonial I guess
1: it does feel like that it's strange Um, we've seen uh, the rest of the polls and and everybody else kind of do revised issues uh, because they uh, sent theirs out a while ago and before all this happened but uh, I, I guess it, it makes sense in one aspect because it is the preseason poll before the season happens. But it would be nice to see them only include the teams that are playing right now in the season that is you know planned for moving forward. And you know, hopefully that continues and everybody can have a season. But you know to to see Ohio State probably like you said you know one two or, or three I'll be interested to see how they view them because they're not going to play at all. And then the after the first week, hopefully that we get that to to be played on the field, they completely <laughs> disappear. It's it's going to be really strange.
0: Yeah, it's going to be more like a top fourteen instead <laughs> of an actual <laughs> actual top twenty five. And look, I if if it's meant to to as much as anything honor these young people that are unfortunately going to miss out on a fall season, then look, it all all the better. I'm good with that. But yeah, it'll have a. It'll have a little bit of a bizarre feel to it, I think, when that, uh, when that poll comes out. It is the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Schreier and Charlie Potter here with you. Uh, we do have to touch on some COVID items because right here in Tuscaloosa on Sunday, in a strongly worded email, Charlie, from Dr. Stuart Bell, president of the University of Alabama, to staff, students, faculty, you name it. Uh, Dr. Bell not happy, apparently, with some increasing rates of infection, positive test, really didn't give us much in the way of context to let us know exactly what the numbers are or anything like that. But uh, said in that email, make no mistake, this trend is a real threat to our ability to complete the semester on campus. The solution is proven. Testing, mask wearing, social distancing, personal hygiene and compliance with crowd size limits are all that are asked as we work together to complete the semester together. And obviously the inference there, uh, complete the semester with at least some in-person courses uh, with students on campuses. You've already got a lot of students in dorms. Uh, it just feels to me, Charlie, like, Exclusive remote learning is inevitable Maybe I'm jumping a step or two or six But I've kind of had that feeling all along And I guess this email on Sunday did nothing to kind of uh, calm that or, or, Or turn that thought
1: yeah, I feel the same way. And, you know, I think there are plenty of students and probably the majority of students are, are doing things the right way. And I, I don't like necessarily this, the idea of, of blaming or placing blame on all the students and their college kids. What do you expect them to do? And, you know, we've seen them out and about. We've seen kind of the reaction to the, the large crowds that have been at bars and, you know, gatherings on campus, like parties and things like that. But, you know. The, he has a response to it and basically an ultimatum because they do have what he called an unacceptable rise in positive cases and like you said the the threat uh, is real for them to not be able to complete the semester on campus and um, you know as a, as a former student it it is a joy to be on campus to be able to go to class and to be able to do the things and I know that you know things aren't anywhere close to being normal but you want to still have what you can do to have some kind of normalcy about that. But it sounds like they're going to be taking this pretty seriously. I know just keeping up with social media and things you, you've seen the UAPD and Tuscaloosa police down the strip and, you know, just trying to, to monitor the bars and the restaurants and things like that. And the one of the more interesting parts of that letter, which it wasn't just a super long letter, but he would said that the violations to their protocols uh, both on and off campus are subject to harsh disciplinary action up to and including suspension. So yeah. uh, I think they're taking this you know, seriously and, you know, whether this was something they probably planned for whenever students returned or not, um, it remains to be seen. It, it probably was because like I said, they're college kids, but I think it, it makes sense now that you see this just from a football perspective because at the moment, none of this relates to that, but, you see the elongated preseason. You see the season being pushed back because you knew these students were going to be back on campus, and they were probably going to make decisions you expect college students to make. And so, you know, hopefully they can continue to, to be on campus, but I, I'm with you. It, it kind of just feels like it's inevitable that they're going to be you know, learning remotely uh, for the rest of the semester at some point.
0: And look, look, it may work out where, in terms of housing, there's still some of that available to students, uh, even in a remote scenario, because you look at North Carolina here recently, North Carolina going to remote learning after just a week of in-class in, in instruction, and, but hasn't totally closed out uh, the housing aspect of, of campus life. So, And I think as much as anything, sports fans have taken note of UNC uh, continuing to try to push forward with football. We've seen it with Notre Dame here in the last few days as well. You know, and there's just this weird alliance right now that I can't quite get my head around. Not entirely anyway. I understand why they're 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 together in terms of at a very fundamental level trying to push forward with football. I think I think their intentions are different. In the SEC it's as simple as it's the biggest show in town. It's SEC football. In the ACC, I think there's some things that are tied into even some other sports that that league is hoping to get off the ground as we get later into the fall and into the early winter months, uh, specifically basketball, men's basketball. Um, but it's just a weird sort of uh, alliance with these three because, you know, even though we kind of present it as, well, they've teamed up. Uh, With the Pac-12 and the Big Ten sort of being their own couple and going their own way, these are the three musketeers, right? One for all, all for one. Not really. I mean, because when you look at just how they're going about scheduling, none of the three are the same. You've got the SEC that's going conference only. You've got the Big 12, that's nine plus one. You got the ACC that's 10 plus one. And then, Charlie, when you get into even season opening dates, you got a conference saying, We're playing September 12th. Another saying September 19th. The SEC's going September the 26th. So, look, hopefully they pull it all off because they are still, it seems, tethered to each other based on all three of them staying in this thing. Uh, but it's it's not this you know unified front. I don't think either.
1: No, I think this whole thing has really showed, and not that it wasn't apparent before. I, I think all five of the power conferences uh, have their differences, but they've been illuminated uh, during this whole pandemic. You've seen. Obviously, with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 deciding not to play, and then now the the, the SEC and the ACC were moving forward, and the Big Twelve is kind of on the fence until they decided to do it. But everyone had, you know, a, a different approach and a, a different mindset with this whole thing, and it, it just, I think, to me at least, has shown how different each of these conferences are, uh, and just the, the the way that they go about making decisions and. You know who knows if this will lead to any kind of you know differences down the road in terms of the power Five breaking away from the NCAA or or what have you, But uh, they need to have some kind of uniformity if they plan to do something like that. and and thus far, there hasn't been any.
0: And with that, let's get into some actual football talk. How about that? <laughs> I think it's time we do that. And what we're gonna do is we'll start on the defensive side of the ball for this Alabama team. Charlie, and this is understanding. They've been in an acclimation period through four practices, going to mm-hmm. transition into full pad work this week. Uh, we're thinking there's possibly a scrimmage uh, at the end of the week uh, as you get to the the close of week two. But let's start on the defensive side, and you know some of it based on things that you know we're hearing, things that we're able to take away from the little bit we see of practice clips and. And the like, but maybe the most sort of anticipated part of the whole week was hearing from the defensive boss, Pete Golding. And look, I give the guy credit. I thought he owned it for what happened last year. I didn't really hear him you know, bail out to the injury aspect of things from 2019. Um, he, he readily admitted that there's a standard at Alabama that must be uh, played to regardless of the situation. Um, but I thought he was also revealing in some ways, as it has to do with personnel, Charlie. What was kind of your takeaway from hearing from Golding last week?
1: No, I agree with that completely. Um, you know, we don't hear from the coordinators much. We hear from them uh, before the season and then in the postseason. And most of the time, they're not very revealing in terms of news. You don't go into that expecting any kind of breaking news because that's left to Nick Saban. I mean, he's you have that. You know, one team, one voice mindset, and it starts with him. And um, you know, they're going to you know, reveal a little bit. They'll talk about their players, but most of the time, you're not going to get a lot. But I thought Pete, um, I thought his press conference was really interesting. And like you said, when it came to the criticism the defense faced last year, he didn't, you know, hang his hat on the injuries and playing the freshman. Um, you know, he knows that and admitted that he came to Alabama to coach the number one defense in the country. And they weren't able to do that last year and that that falls on him. And he has to get the guys ready uh, to do that. But no, I, I agree with you about you know what he said about certain position groups. And I think the two most interesting ones for me, at least uh, on the defensive side of the ball are at outside linebacker and the secondary, I mean, you with today's offenses, you have to apply pressure on the quarterback and you have to be able to defend the pass. And uh, Alabama has to replace a ton in both of those areas. You lose guys like Anthony Jennings and Torrell Lewis up front. And, um, he was specifically asked about, uh, Christopher Allen and, and Ben Davis. And those are the two guys that have been at the front of the pack in terms of the outside linebackers. And he talked about how those guys have been extra coaches on the field and, uh, for a position group that's very inexperienced and has a ton of young guys with a lot of talent. It's, it's good to hear that, um, you know, for them to be stepping up and, uh, But I think the most interesting thing for me when it came to the outside linebackers was he talked about, you know, third down and obviously getting after the quarterback. And he said they're going to play their best guys. And that's not to say that Allen and Davis aren't them. But I think they know what they have, you know, waiting in the wings and some of these young players. And when you talk about these first four practices and, you know, the walkthroughs they were able to do before that all you hear about is Will Anderson and Drew Sanders, the true freshmen. And uh, those have been guys that have been kind of nipping at the heels of of Allen and Davis so far. And uh, I think when you talk about outside linebackers and maybe the pass rushing specialists, those are the guys that that are being mentioned. And so he didn't name them by name, but I think the young guys are obviously maybe going to be in a rotational aspect when it comes to rushing the passer this fall.
0: Yeah, he was really specific. About Allen and and Ben Day uh, and Ben and and the the older guys in terms of maybe more base defense, mm-hmm. which that points to a physical maturity that's required. I mean, you got to be a grown ass man to set the edge in a in a league like the SEC. However, you do get into pass rush situations. That's where just sort of talent early on in a, in a player's career, uh, can really assert itself. And so, yeah, that makes a lot of sense there. I, you know, I, and you're like me, we, we really pay attention to names that are sort of put forth unsolicitedly. Right. And he did some of that too. And I think some of them you expected to hear like Patrick Sertan and, Dylan Moses, but LeBron Ray, but then if you're an Alabama fan, I think there were some names you needed to hear to make you feel a little bit better about this next defense, and primarily I'm thinking of Josh Job and, and Christian Barmore.
1: Yeah, he mentioned Barmore in his opening there with Dylan Moses and Ray and, and Sertain, and uh, yeah, that's a guy that a lot of people pointed to, to, to have a breakout year, and they have a, a ton of depth on the defensive line, and if you can have a healthy LeBron Ray and a Christian Barmore mixed in with some of these young guys they feel good about rushing the passer, you're going to have a much better interior pass rush this year. And that's something you lacked last year because of injury and so many young guys playing. And with Barmore being another year older, you know, the defensive coordinator to come out and just say how he's been impressive from a performance and leadership standpoint says a lot. And he was asked, um, I believe specifically about Job and uh, Ronald Williams, the junior college transfer. And he talked about how in, in, uh, on this defense and in the SEC, you need two lockdown corners. And Alabama had that last year with Diggs and, and Sertan, but obviously Diggs is now in Dallas with the Cowboys. And he said they feel like they have that with Sertan and Job. And um, you know, the, the thing that they're looking for is someone to step in as star. And, and while Ronald Williams can do that, I don't know if that's really where he's been so far, at least not from a first-team perspective. Uh, the two names that I've heard, at least in that regard, have been Jalen Armour-Davis, a guy that came in in the same class with Sertan and uh, Joe, but he's a guy that dealt with the injury his true freshman year and kind of taken a longer path to the field. And then he also mentioned um, both times when he was talking about uh, the, the defensive backs and the outside linebackers and primarily about the safeties. he's talked about how they're going to have to be freshmen that step up and one of those players that's done that so far is brian branch the the kid that enrolled this summer and um, you know obviously the the freshman class the the guys that enrolled early don't have that much of a leg up uh, on their fellow teammates but you know, that's a that's going to be a position to watch because the star is an important role in this defense and uh they're going to have to have somebody step up and replace the Cheyenne carter and it sounds like they have some options but no i agree completely whenever he mentions those guys and it talks about how they feel comfortable about a Christian Barmore and a Josh Job with how much they have to replace up front and and in the back end. If you're an Alabama fan, I think that makes you feel a little bit better about this defense.
0: And so you're able to start thinking about in skeletal terms what the back end of that defense might look like. You might have well you're going to have Patrick Sertan at a corner, and it sounds like Josh Job is in good shape to be that other guy. But then as you outlined, you get into the nickel. And is it going to be Jalen Armour Davis? It Could it be a true freshman in Brian Branch who, from pretty much signing day, I compared in some ways to Minka Fitzpatrick. Not that I've ever <laughs> said on record he's going to be Minka Fitzpatrick, but in terms of his skill set and the way he showed up on tape at the high school level. So those are a couple of guys there. Uh, Jordan Battle, obviously. Uh, as one of your safeties that we heard Pete Golding talk about. But, you know, perhaps this is Daniel Wright's year to to be that other guy. Then you start thinking about, you know, some dime things. Maybe it's DeMarco Ellum. So those are, are – would you add to that list of uh, that group right there? Or do you think right now, again, understanding this very early, those would be some of the prime candidates for for all the different roles they, they use guys in in that secondary?
1: I think those would be pretty much it at this point. I would probably uh, include Ronald Williams in that mix just because he is a junior college guy, and, and they bring those guys in for a reason. But um, like you said, corner would be Sertan and Job and it is you know it's four days into practice. They haven't even put um, full pads on yet. That'll happen this afternoon. But and then at safety, you have the usual suspects of, of Battle and Daniel Wright, but Demarco Helms is another young guy that you know continues to be someone I hear about, and I, I think that. To me, he's a he's a perfect fit at money in your dime look. But he also is a guy that can maybe challenge a guy like Daniel Wright. I know Daniel Wright's the, the oldest guy in that uh, safety room. Uh, I think Jordan Battle is going to lock down one of those positions because uh, Golding said he looks like he's been in the system for a year, so he's he's more familiar, more comfortable. Uh, but I think just there's it's starting to take shape in the secondary there's some some moving pieces and some things that can change and there's plenty of football practice left in front of this team uh, i'm not expecting to pencil all these guys in the starters against uh, missouri but um i will re- be really intrigued what happens just from a, a competition standpoint as safety and then of course what happens at star because uh, there's some returning players there with you know armor davis and i, I i'm not really including him as a returning player, but he was here in January And Ronald Williams. But I think that Brian Branch is certainly one of the top freshmen to watch on the defensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah, Golding also was real clear in that if you are playing young guys or you're playing inexperienced guys and you know there are areas where they're not particularly strong, but there are others where they are, well, then you try to make best use of that and you don't overwhelm Players by asking too much of them and with the secondary in mind as many guys as we just outlined and also an outside linebacker man You talk about a defense that could have a lot of guys In some situational (laughs) roles when this team goes to columbia uh, Missouri on september the 26th just between the secondary and outside linebacker that would be the case and maybe that they'll have that luxury because you know, at some areas where they're going to be very, very dependent on communication and organization being far better than it was a year ago when you had the two true freshmen inside linebackers. They should have that now in the middle of the linebacker, middle of the defense with Dylan Moses back. And, you know, even if it's another guy like Christian Harris that's in there with him, he played so much football last year
1: yeah I think that that says a lot about what happened last year is, obviously it was kind of out of their hands that they were having to play those young guys, but they don't want to overwhelm them again because that led to to miscues, to missed tackles and and things like that, and that's obviously something they want to clean up. but you know having Dylan Moses back in the middle of that defense is huge. um you know, Pete talked at length about Dylan and and having him back and him stepping up as a as a leader even before um last season. you know he really saw him. You know, take on that role uh b- right before he got hurt and uh, I think that's a big reason you know he's happy to have him back not only the player he is but how he's able to um, you know route the troops and, and get them lined up and get them where they're supposed to be and and that does help you know you be able to put some of those young guys on the field because you know 32's back there and he can tell you hey do this and so um you know I think communication on the back end is going to be uh, really and crucial because you don't have a Xavier McKinney back there anymore. Daniel Wright and, and Jordan Battle and DeMarco Helms are going to have to do a good job of, of that. But it sounds like up to this point, they have been. And again, four days into camp, uh, you have plenty of more practices to go. But, um, you know, from the outset, it sounds like from a coordinator standpoint and even hearing from Patrick Tan they both like where the secondary is right now.
0: Yeah, I I get the sense that even though they have a lot of guys at inside linebacker that have played some meaningful snaps at those positions here in the last couple of three years, that doesn't mean that it's going to be spread out as much in terms of roles. As Dylan Moses is right. He's an every down guy. And there's the possibility with the way in which you can use Dylan in some different ways where Christian Harris could end up being an every down guy. So. Uh, depth is a great thing at inside linebacker, it appears. But I, I'm not taking it, Charlie. That, well, because they've got all these guys, they're going to try to play as many of them as possible. I, I, I can see it being limited to just a couple, maybe three guys at inside linebacker. It, 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 as long as everybody's healthy and good to go.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, so far it's been Dylan and, and Christian, and uh, you know that's to be expected. I mean, Christian was the starter at Will last year, and I think. I've said this plenty of times, I think from a freshman standpoint, I think he improved the most from game one to game 13 last year. And you can tell he's a special talent. He's a guy that played linebacker for the first time last year. And now having to think a little less with a guy like Dylan beside him, I think he's going to play even faster and better. And um, you know, if, if he has a, a better understanding of the defense, I'm not saying he, he didn't last year. I think that progresses well. Over the course of the year, but you do feel a little bit more comfortable. You're leaving him in there maybe as the MAC in a dime situation and allowing Dylan to to rush the passer because we've seen him do that in the past. But I agree. I, I think it's a situation where you know they do have the Josh McMillan back for his sixth season. You do have you know Shane Lee back who's dropped some weight and you know started all 13 games last year. I know he's been hurt for the first week, but you have a guy like Ali Cahoe. There's a lot of potential. Uh, and a lot of players that have played some football uh, here in the past that are at that position but you don't really want to take a Dylan Moses off the field I don't think he'll probably get a breather all year uh, but and, and then with the promise that a guy like Christian Harris shows do you want to do that as well I think it could be maybe a situation like we saw when Reggie Raglan was the leader of the defense and you kind of saw uh, Ruben Foster and uh, Sean Dion Hamilton uh, kind of mix that up or, or maybe I have that backwards but uh, where you have maybe a rotational role at, at will, but uh, I don't think it'll be more than maybe maybe three players.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting to consider with this defense. Is it, it moves forward. There's no doubt about it. Hey, we're going to step aside to a break and when we come back. We'll get into the offensive side of the football for this Alabama football team, just uh, four practices into preseason workouts. We'll do that with Charlie Potter and myself. When the BamaOnline.com podcast returns right after this. And we're back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to the podcast? It's absolutely free. It's easy to do. Wherever you consume podcasts, just hit the button there. Subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. That would be greatly appreciated as well. So, Charlie, let's flip it over to the offensive side of the football. Um, And... You know, an area that we've talked about a pretty good bit in the offseason is uh, as much as this group brings back pretty much everybody is the offensive line. And, you know, how the potential move of Evan Neal from left guard to right tackle, how could that maybe impact the interior of the offensive line? And uh, it looks like there's been a little bit of a shakeup uh, in terms of. You know, uh, those three spots. uh, You you got a guy at at right guard last year. It looks like at left guard now. Maybe last year center at right guard. Center might be up for grabs now. Where does that thing kind of sit there in the middle of that offensive line for four practices into it?
1: Yeah that was one of at least from an offensive perspective um you know the thing i was most interested to see just how they would mix things up and you know you have Alex Leatherwood at left tackle you could pencil that in before practice started but then you had Evan Neal who was last year's left guard kick out to right tackle and then Landon Dickerson was last year's center he's now at right guard and last year's right guard Deontay Brown, he's now at left guard. And for the first three days of practice, we saw Chris Owens at center. And he's a guy that started uh, last year at that position. And then whenever Deontay Brown came back into the mix, you know, Brown went to, to guard and, and Landon Dickerson kicked over to center. So um, that's not a complete surprise because that gives you your most experienced group. Uh, Chris Owens is a redshirt senior. He's been in the program. He has some starts under his belt. Uh, but uh, I'm not exactly sure at this point what happened, uh, but it looked like Emil Ekior got some work on Saturday at center. Now we haven't seen all practice and you know, you want to be hesitant when it comes to injuries or things like that. Again, I don't know what happened, but there was a little bit of a shakeup after three days. Um, you know, we'll hear from Saban later today and, and hopefully he'll provide some context to that, but they have options, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say. And when it comes to just, Finding the center, there are three quality players there that can do that, and those being Owens, Egior, and then Darian Dalcourt And um, you know the, the guys that they have around them, have, have, you know, played a lot of football, played a lot of football last year, played pretty well as a unit. And so, just finding that piece that, that fits the best with them, I think, is going to be the the challenge for this offensive line. But you know, Steve Sar- Sarkeesian said it last week about how um, this is a, a blessing, really. You know, it's something that. You know, he's been a part of teams that don't have the experience that this offensive line has, and and you know sometimes you struggle with that, and um, it's something that they uh, are happy to have, and uh, I, I'll be really interested to see how it continues to maybe you know morph because you know it's four days into practice, things can change. They like to move guys around in that offensive line some, so I think that we can maybe continue to see some shifts.
0: Yeah, we talked about it before, even in. Normal times in fall camps, we've seen them still play around with combinations uh, along that offensive line. And when you think about it, if you have Chris Owens at center, you alluded to this, you're redshirt senior from guard to guard mm-hmm. with Deontay Brown and Landon Dickerson. So you're not just physically, you know, perhaps dominant, uh, you're, you're going to be mentally in a place that most offensive lines at the at the Blue Blood level, anyway, can't really speak to. But, um, yeah, that'll be interesting. And, you know, we in situations like that, something reveals something else. With Emil Ekior in there, it kind of tells you that, you know, maybe he's the next guy up as a swing guy at guard and perhaps even center. But they have so many options. They have the benefit of not having to be dependent on one person to fill a couple of spots you know they they can go with just a next center in or a next guard in because they've accumulated that type of uh, talent certainly there at the the interior uh, positions now Charlie let's get into the wide receiver and tight end spots uh, I know we heard from Jalen Waddell Devontae Smith here in the last week um, tight end you sort of anticipate Miller Forstall Carl Tucker, the grad transfer from North Carolina, obviously being a big part of that mix, but uh, he still got a role or two. Especially thinking about wide receiver with John Mechie and you know Slade Bolden and Xavier Williams and these freshmen that Alabama have brought in there at the wide receiver position. I guess early on, experience benefits the most because typically those are the guys. That can jump in at any spot in that in that uh, in that offense at wide receiver. You know, they're, they're not just limited to one of the three spots. They can play any of the three, I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, wide receiver is really interesting because um, you lose two players this offseason with. Uh, Tyrell Shavers and Chidarius Townsend, um, you know, moving on. But there's still a lot of quality options. You know, Slade Volden's a guy we've talked about before on the podcast, and um, he's a guy that the coaches cl- clearly trust because he was a guy that, that filled many, many roles last year, whether it was a Wildcat quarterback, and, you know, playing as a receiver. Uh, he was a do everything guy on special teams. So he has that trust and, you know, I think knowledge of the, the system and, and things like that. And, and Slade and uh, it's been a guy that I think has made some noise. He, you know, started out think, working with the twos and he's seen some, some reps of the ones and I think John Meshi is still obviously in that mix and, and working there as well. But he's gonna have some competition. I think that's good for this group because outside of, you know, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, you got two guys returning and then, you know, three true freshmen. So um how it kinda shakes out there and, and what that rotation looks like in that third spot really it's gonna be fascinating to watch moving forward because a young guy that I, I continue to hear about at the wide receiver position is uh, Javon Baker. Uh, and he's a guy that you know, got here whenever or in the summer uh, the other two, uh, Jones bell and Trayshawn Holden enrolled early, but you know, Baker, <laughs> he's, he's a guy that, you know, when you hear about Will Anderson and Brian branch on defense, you hear about them a lot. And, and Javon Baker's that guy on offense. And, uh, I, I think that wide receiver is one of those positions. We've seen true freshmen make impacts before, um Devontae Smith did it Jalen Waddell did it the list goes on and on and he could be that next guy in that line so you know what happens in that third and fourth spot really at receiver um you know that battle there I think will be intriguing to watch and, and tight end we haven't really heard much about the tight ends so far we know what they have um you know Miller Forstall and Carl, Carl Tucker should be the top guys there I think Major Tennyson and, and guys like Billings Billingsley guys that played last year will still be a factor uh but it, it goes back to that experience you were talking about and and they certainly have it, uh, with, with forestall and, you know, Carl Tucker's a guy that transferred in, but he's a six year senior played a lot of ball at North Carolina. So I think from a pass catcher standpoint, uh, you lose two first round picks and some guys to transfers, but you have to feel pretty good about the guys that you're working with through four days of practice.
0: And I guess how they want to play on offense will dictate some of that too. In other words, the presence, the prominence of a third receiver in comparison to, say, like the last couple of years when you had four guys mm-hmm. that were out of this world. Uh, you return that offensive line. You return Najee Harris. You're transitioning at quarterback. Could be you see more two tight ends um, than we've seen in a few years around here. And I think I think even uh, Steve Sarkeesian spoke to that potential prospect when he was asked about it last week.
1: Yeah, and you know you, you don't have Tua, you don't have Jerry Judy, you don't have Henry Ruggs. You feel good about the guys you have coming back, but maybe you do lean more on that run game because of the experience you have up front, and you have Najee Harris back, and you have a, a stable of running backs with Brian Robinson and, and Trey Sanders, who is finally healthy. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to be you know three yards to a cloud of dust or anything like that. I think you're still going to see plenty of passes from this offense because you know they have some talented quarterbacks and you return a thousand yard receiver and one of the most electric players in college football and, and Jalen Waddell but I also think that you, know, you rely more maybe a little bit on those guys up front and that stable backs that you have and you know Najee Harris is is an important piece I don't think he's going to be a guy that gets you know 25 carries a game uh, but he came back for a reason he worked his tail off this offseason season. And, you know, he's prepared to improve his draft stock after, you know, a really impressive junior season. So I'm sure we'll talk about the, the running backs in a bit. But, yeah, I mean, just from a, from a, a game plan standpoint, um, I don't think it's going to be a dramatic shift. But I do think that maybe they rely a little bit more on that running game just because of what they lost at quarterback and receiver.
0: One of the many great things about bringing back guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, is that they don't need 80-plus catches to get to 1,000 yards on a typical season. They can get there in about 50. Now, look, we know the season's going to be different in terms of number of games this year, so adjust those accordingly. The bottom line is yards per catch. And with those two guys, you're talking about a duo that can get 18, 19 per grab uh, and have done that pretty consistently to this point of their Alabama career. So, you know they're not dependent on uh, a multitude of touches. Yeah, I mean, you obviously want to get them the football, but if it does work out, maybe that you are a little bit more play-action-centric from a traditional standpoint. In other words, you're pounding the running game with a greater frequency than maybe you had the last couple of years. When you do throw it, those guys can still produce uh, and are very efficient in, in doing that. And you talked about running back. um Najee, Brian Robinson Trey Sanders and then is it three freshmen at that point that we're talking about Charlie?
1: That's what it's looked like so far. I mean we haven't had any kind of confirmation and Alabama's not going to talk about any opt-outs and nobody's made an announcement but um, you you have to feel pretty good about that group because you do have Najee Harris back who's going to be one of the top backs in the country I think Brian Robinson um, you know, he's a guy that he he didn't get you know a lot of carries last year but he's a reliable option and someone you can look to in short yardage situations and, and use as a fullback or an h-back if you want to be or have an extra walker in there I think that's a luxury and then I think that the guy everybody wants to see and and one of the reasons I'm I'm kind of bummed that we don't get to go out to practice is to see a healthy Trey Sanders because you know, he's a guy that um it was a talented player coming out of high school predicted he was going to win the heisman trophy as a true freshman that's still on the table i guess being a redshirt freshman and not playing at all last year but you know when he gets the ball in his hands he does a lot of special things and i think he's another guy that's a threat out of the backfield you know Najee obviously proved to be that a year ago with seven touchdowns but trey sanders is a real receiving threat too and uh to have those three guys behind that offensive line and it was some of the um the guys they have as, as blockers because that's another part of the, the receiving aspect that that doesn't get mentioned a lot is Devontae Smith is and Jalen Waddell are willing to block. I think those other guys are too. And adding a guy like Carl Tucker as an in line blocker, um, you know, boy, if they really you rely on that running game, they have three backs that can go and I think they feel pretty good about those freshmen too. Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, Kyle Edwards. So, you know, whether the number six or seven, you know, you have a full stable of backs and I think a guy like and Trey Sanders is someone that they're excited to add to that mix.
0: And let's wrap it up with the quarterback position, of course. And I know that Devontae Smith's been asked about it. I know that Jalen Waddell most recently has been asked about it. Uh, what have you taken from the comments of, uh, of, of a couple of the receivers, of even Steve Sarkeesian when the topic is broached where, Uh, Mac Jones and Bryce Young, and even Paul Tyson is concerned.
1: Yeah, they're all saying the right things, and um, you know, there's kind of a different description, I guess you could say, of all three, or at least how they've um, been perceived by their teammates and their coaches, and uh, and all are positive. So Mac Jones is a guy that has really stepped up as a leader. You can tell that confidence and that he was able to establish last year, and um, I think they feel confident and comfortable with him being the quarterback and um you know mac said the same thing he knows that he has an opportunity to lead this team to lead this offense and you know he's putting his head down and and working and competing with these guys paul tyson's a guy i think that doesn't get a lot of attention and i get it um you know mac jones is a guy that started four games last year bryce young was the number one player in the country former five star you know those those guys are uh, attractive for headlines. I understand that as someone that, that writes a bunch of stories. I'm I'm well aware of that. But I think Paul Tyson has progressed well. You know, he's benefited from a year in the program, and he's done some nice things in these practices. But then with Bryce, um, he's a guy that obviously would have benefited from going through spring practice. Um, Paul would have as well. But uh, I think that he's coming along and learning things quickly. And, you know, the big thing is everybody – that's been asked about him it's, it's talked about um how they think he's going to be a great quarterback they see the potential that maybe he's not there yet he's still you know learning still are you know, going through his first you know handful of, of college practices but they see that he's a talented player the potential that he has and uh you know we've seen it in some of these video clips they haven't shown a lot but they've shown some quarterback uh, clips we saw him catch uh, a pass with, with one hand didn't have a trot back at all and delivered a, a perfect strike to to Trayshon Holden on an out and um, you know he's just a gifted athlete and I, I think all three though I think they feel good about the quarterbacks they have of course it's tough to replace a guy like Tua but when you have you know three quality players like a Mac Jones and a Paul Tyson and a Bryce Young you, you feel good about your offense moving forward
0: yeah, UA hadn't shied away from Bryce Young getting him out there in the clips. You know, um, it's been pretty much Mac and Bryce when you talk about the Alabama quarterbacks and the uh, the footage that's been provided. We're not complaining, by the way. You know, no no complaints here about that. Okay, so Charlie, uh, we talked about it throughout the podcast. We are entering another phase of preseason workouts where we're going to get into some full pad work and perhaps even start looking ahead to a scrimmage here in the not too distant future.
1: Yeah. It's another week with some spaced out practices. They'll be out there later today. And, and Nick Saban's supposed to talk afterwards via zoom. So we'll hear from him. And then they'll practice again, Wednesday, I think we're going to hear from some players beforehand on that. I believe I don't have it in front of me, but I've done a decent job of trying to memorize it. I, I believe they practice again Friday with no media availability in terms of interviews. And then They'll be on the field Saturday, which is what we're thinking is going to be that first scrimmage. And, you know, we think that because it's it's bumped up from an earlier time. They've been practicing around 3.30 in the afternoon, and this is set for one. And then Nick Saban is supposed to speak after that. So that's what the week looks like. Um, hopefully they're able to, to do it without a hitch. And, you know, we'll, we'll have a lot of coverage from the the interviews and from the practices with these videos and, and photos and you know, it's, it's good to, to have it, though. It feels like a little bit of normalcy and to, to have a schedule and things to look forward to. So I'm enjoying it.
0: I'm enjoying it almost as much as those lemon squares I had Saturday night. <laughs> oh, Charlie, you a lemon square guy. Do you like uh, like lemon and lime type? I'm usually not. You know, I'm not a lemon meringue pie guy or a key lime pie guy. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm not a lemon square guy, but the wife made these with the actual real lemon juice in them and a kind of a buttery cookie crust on the bottom. I'm a fan now, Charlie. How about that?
1: Lemon's probably my favorite dessert flavor. Right. Um, my wife makes these cookies that are – they're basically cake. Um, I don't know how she does it, but they're, they're fantastic. And we actually, at our wedding, um, we didn't have like a big wedding cake. We had several smaller cakes of different flavors and my vote, which was one vote compared to six or seven was a lemon cake. So yeah, I mean, when it comes to desserts, I don't have the guy. Yeah. I don't have the biggest sweet tooth in the world, but, uh, usually the, the lemon is, is my vote for, for anything.
0: See, I like lemon pepper wings. I like lemon in my tea. You know, I'm not just totally across the board anti lemon guy, but I've never really been team lemon dessert guy either. That changed over the weekend. I knew you would. I knew you'd want to know that first. So yeah, I good. Good to wanted, see you come around. <laughs> yeah, that's breaking news in 2020. You know, doesn't <laughs> qualify as much. Hey, as always, thanks for the time, Charlie. Always great stuff for us there at BamaOnline.com and look forward to more of it in the coming days as we as we cross our fingers and move hopefully towards a fall football season in the coming months. Thanks, Charlie.
1: No problem, man. Always good to catch
0: up. Yeah, there you go. It's Charlie Potter, I'm Travis Schreier, thanking you once again for not only joining us here on the Bama Online podcast, but absolutely there at BamaOnline.com. Come post up with us on the premium message board, the roundtable, the message board of choice for Alabama fans across the world. How about that for a dramatic exit from this uh, this edition of the Bama Online Podcast? Thanks again. We'll do it again real soon. Grab your VIP pass.